0: Welcome to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branning, owner of the Unique Garden Center. Join us each week right here as Mike discusses gardening topics and takes your calls and questions. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, here's your host, Mike Branning. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. going to be a pretty day.
1: Oh, yeah. The rains last week were absolutely fantastic as well.
0: Yeah, they were. The desert was totally digging on it.
1: Oh, Yeah always a good time when it rains glad we're getting more rain
0: exactly because it's
1: been dry for a long time
0: has been a while even though we had a wet winter last year but uh it was dry from that point on so we're definitely in need of rain and the desert and whether you're a plant or an animal or an insect they all dig on it
1: also hasn't snowed yet i remember there was a while where it snow at least once even if it didn't stick past noon it would at least snow at least once a year
0: well, for the people that have been here for a long time, it was normal to have two or three snows during the winter. Right. And that was normal. I mean, you expected it. I oh, mean, yeah. you weren't going to be snowed in, but you're going to have snow on the ground. And you could go out there and, you know, throw a few snowballs and whatnot. And, uh, and so, yeah, so the ones that are not new to the and you could be here 20 years and that still wouldn't have been long enough. You know, for what the weather used to be, what was considered normal back then.
1: Right. I've been here for about that span of time, like 20 years, and it it was pretty regular, but it started dropping off, like, not too long ago, the snow. Yeah. And then we had that one huge snowstorm where right. you, everything shut down.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, um, back in the day, you know, that's why, as far as the amount of rain and snow that you get, that's why yucca valley and joshua tree and landers is as green and lush as they are as far as you know depending on where you live you have the joshua trees or you have the native junipers pinyon pines um you know it's all related to uh, the amount of rainfall and snow as well as elevation too but um but you had all that and they did so well because you had the rain and the snow right and sadly a lot of the joshua trees now are because of the lack of rain and snow, uh, you can see a really healthy tree one day, and you may go buy it on your way home or whatever or your way to work, and then all of a sudden one day you see it laying on the ground, and it looks perfectly healthy, and, but it's laying on the ground. And what's happening is because of the lack of rain and snow, their root system is becoming compromised from dehydration, and if you get a good wind then they can just blow over because they don't have the footing that they once had.
1: Right. Or if a big snow randomly comes through, limbs will start breaking off cuz they're not strong enough anymore.
0: Exactly. And so that's why it's important that if you do have Joshua trees on your property, a lot of people think, well they're they're native, you know, they've been here for a gazillion years, they don't need water. But the reality is is they do because they're not getting that naturally as far as what they're used to getting and the reason why they're here to begin with and the reason they did so well here for, you know, eons of time. And so if you do have a native Joshua tree on the property uh, during the summer months, if you go out there and and you don't want to groundwater them during the heat of the summer, uh, but if you give them a, a watering down the head of the tree, Uh, during the summer and do it at least once a month. Uh, Twice a month wouldn't be uncalled for. And then if you're not getting the rain during the winter, uh, then you can go ahead and say you went a whole month without a rain, then you can go ahead and then you want to groundwater during the winter because during the winter when the ground temperature is cool, then they can take a deep watering. If you give them a deep watering during the heat of the summer, you know, with summer you have, heat and you can have uh, fungal conditions develop because of the heat and the moisture and so that's why if you just mimic nature and give them a head watering during the summer and then give them a deep watering during the winter if the rains or the snows aren't there then you can maintain what the tree's used to getting and then have a nice viable healthy Joshua tree and not expect it to always be there and then see it laying on the ground one day.
1: And if you live in the higher elevations where you have the junipers and the pinyon pines, can you kind of give them the same watering treatment as you would a Joshua tree? You would, yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, again, you know, I mean, they can take a little more water during the summer. But again, if you just mimic nature, because during the summertime, you get those really quick, heavy, fast rains where you can give it a heavy blast of water and it's done. So the water's not really penetrating that deep, but it's getting a good watering through the head and the very shallow surface roots that are there to grab water, too. So just, again, mimic nature, and you'll meet their needs, and that way you can maintain a nice, healthy, viable plant.
1: Right. I think we've talked about this before where you, like a lot of people have the thought of just leave your natives alone that are on your property. Exactly. But if you water them and treat them like a... You know, as nature would, you like. They're going to respond to it. Yeah, they're going to respond to it, like the mallow. It'll you'll get more blooms from it.
0: Exactly. Oh yeah. You know, and as far as watering goes, it doesn't just you know stay at the Joshua trees and the junipers and the pinion pines, but it goes into everything, whether it be black brush, Mormon tea, the desert mallow, creosote. Um, you know, they all were, Anything will respond favorably to water. Right. You know, and so, and then again, another really good way, if you have quite a few natives on the property, there again, if you uh, want to water, and cost of water is always going up, it's never going to go down, but, you know, if you can convert, if, you know, say you have, if you're tied into the sewer system, then the, everything that goes into the sewer is all, you know, sludge, but if you can transfer the water that goes from your kitchen and your laundry and your showers and whatnot, if you can channel that water and take that gray water and have that go out and water the natives, then it's water that's going to be wasted anyway.
1: Oh, that'd be absolutely fantastic. And then you
0: can go ahead and whether it be you know watering your landscape as well or watering the natives. Uh, And preferably, if you do go down that road, then ideally, if you could then try to use organic soaps because otherwise you're going to have a lot of phosphorus in a lot of the soaps that you use and that's going to alter the ph of the soil and you know long term it's going to make the water not very healthy and not very healthy for the plant either so if you use an organic biodegradable breakdown soap um then it's a win-win
1: do you have any recommendations for some soap that you could use some of that uh, well, as soap. far as
0: hand soaps, uh, you can use the Dr. Bronner's. That comes in either uh, lavender, almond, or peppermint.
1: Good old Dr. Bronner. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of uses for Dr. Bronner yeah. as well.
0: And so uh, you can use that quite readily. Um, and then there's a, uh, I know Trader Joe's has a, an organic biodegradable soap for laundry. And there's a few of them. In fact, I saw one here. I tried to write the number down. I didn't get to the pin in time. It was a sheet. And it's it's or an organic-based uh, laundry detergent on a sheet of paper. Huh. And uh, you just throw a sheet in, and so you don't have to – you have these large plastic containers, which, again, I recycle everything. And so when you go through this, you figure everybody's using you know laundry detergents and you have these big plastic containers – then that's all just, again, more you know plastic waste. Even though you recycle it, but if you can just throw a sheet in there and and the sheets are organic on top of that, then that's a win-win. So hopefully I'll come across that commercial again and I can write it down.
1: I've never even heard of that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I've been trying to move away from plastic containers. Like I start buying like bars of soap that have like minimal plastic and exactly. stuff. I wish there was a, like a bar of shampoo too. Right. Yeah. That would be pretty awesome.
0: Right. Exactly. So but yeah, so everything it all comes down to water. And speaking of water, uh, this time of the year, you know, people start thinking about springtime and what they're gonna do in their yard as far as if they're gonna do a full landscape or they wanna maybe maybe there's an Airbnb being built real by close by and they wanna block it out or whatever. Um not picking on Airbnbs, but that kind of seems to be wherever you look, you see a it's new, a hot topic, in you these parts. see another Airbnb going up. <coughs> and so, if you wanted to, or even if you wanted to have, you know, say the neighbor a new neighbor moved in and they got a bunch of junk in their backyard, well, um, you need a, a kind of a minimal windbreak. Uh, people are always quick to go out and buy oleanders, and uh, and you know and Forty years of <clears throat> landscaping, I've only used oleanders one time.
1: I personally can't stand oleanders. You know, and aren't they poisonous? As well, well, they are poisonous. Yeah.
0: You know, and of all the poisonous plants, they're probably one of the safest plants to be around because everybody knows that they're poisonous. And there's other things that people don't realize are poisonous that they have no idea, but they are. And uh, but either way, I mean oleanders. I mean they grow fast. They put out bloom. They're somewhat drought tolerant um, you almost every year going to get aphids that's almost a given and uh, but I've just never really gotten into oleanders but as far as wanting to create an environment where you want to have a privacy screen or a, a windscreen, uh, three shrubs that are phenomenal and they're gonna get two of them going to get around eight to ten feet and then the, the third one, the Texas sage, is going to get between six and eight. But uh, the first one is, it, I've seen several times where people have creosote on their property that they take out and then they'll put in an oleander hedge or things like that. That should be a crime. they're just not thinking, you know? And granted, you know, the, the creosote are probably kind of rough and scruffy looking because they're only getting what water falls out of the sky. And so naturally, they're going to be on the smaller side, possibly. Or if they're big, they're going to be kind of thin and skinny looking and sparse. But if you give a creosote water, uh, then they're going to grow roughly around 10 by 10, sometimes larger. And they'll be extremely thick. They'll be as thick as an oleander. Uh, And then once they get to that height, you can start backing off on the watering. And not that they're going to take a lot of water to get them there anyway. And if you already have one established, it's already there in the ground. When you first begin to water it, you're not going to see a lot of growth right away because again, they're not used to getting water, so they're going to just kind of grab it and hoard it and hang on to it and save it for a dry spell. And but when they realize that the water's there and it's still, it's always coming around, then they're going to start putting on new growth and they're gonna thicken out, and again, they'll get as thick as an oleander, and they're gonna be more drought tolerant. They're native, and so it'll be exactly what you're looking for, and it's already there. And if you already have some on the property, and they're in the area where you wanna have this hedge, then rather than planting this ducks in a row hedge, you can water the creosote, and where you have a bald area where you don't have a creative so you can buy a soap. we carry them at the nursery and you can buy a out to you know plug in the bald area and then just add it to the row and that way instead of having a straight line hedge it'll be more of a meandering natural looking hedge and aesthetically it'll look nicer and again it's going to be a very and if you do have native creosote and they're kind of spindly looking and rough looking what you can do is don't cut them way back, but you know cut them back anywhere from six to 12 inches to kind of encourage them to put out. because every plant has, as we spoke in past programs, every plant branch has a leader. And so if you take that leader out, then it's going to regroup and the way you get a plant to fill in is that by taking the leader out, it's going to send out new shoots from the below where you cut the leader off, and that's because they all want to take over the, the leader place. And by doing that, that's going to make the plant fill in. And so they do really well that way. And So that way you can get the plant to fill in faster. And, um, and again, you know, if you have a native crease out during the summer, give it a watering twice a month, and that'll be enough to get it going. And the same thing in the winter. If it's a dry winter, water it once a month. And, um, and again, you'd be surprised if you take a picture of it now and in a year, by giving it a little bit of water, you'd be amazed. And, you know, trimming maybe initially to begin with, you'd be amazed what you're going to be looking at in a year's time. Right.
1: And on, I don't know if a lot of people know this about the creosote, but it, they have gorgeous yellow blooms. Oh, yeah. They, they're they absolutely stunning when they start blooming, and they outcompete non-native plants. So you won't have to worry about weeds coming around your creosotes or weeding. Right,
0: you. right. You know, and... Uh, for again, those that are may not have any creosote on their property, or if you are traveling in and around the basin when it's raining and you smell this awesome smell in the air, that's creosote. And that's my
1: favorite smell in the entire world, and it's so hard to describe to people. You just have to experience it yourself.
0: Exactly. You know, and and then on top of that, people don't realize the the uh, therapeutic value that creosote has. Um, and I know myself, uh, once a month, I'll put about a, maybe a quarter of amount of water in the tub and I'll go outside and cut off three or four pieces of crease. throw it in the tub and let it steep like a tea bag. And then when I get home, then I'll, uh, turn on the hot water, fill the tub up and that'll make all that cold water back to being hot again. And then I just Plug in a CD and jump in the tub for about a, you know an hour or two. And uh, the health benefits of creosote, you can take creosote uh, also by um, tablet form as well. Uh, but it's, again, your, your skin being your biggest organ. Um, and then when you walk in the front door after you live in a steep all day, the whole house smells like creosote and uh and what you gotta do is after you get out of the tub you gotta take a quick shower because you are kind of sticky a little bit not bad but a little bit um but uh but yeah creosote bath is very beneficial and you can look up creosote and see what the health benefits are and see if there would be anything you want to you know check into
1: you can also uh, break creosote down into a balm and use it that way on your skin my uh, my sister actually has found a way to make it into a balm and she like puts in a little, like those little discs, and then right. she she's got a rash or just dry skin. She uses it like lotion.
0: Okay, and right on,
1: super good for your skin.
0: Okay, I would yeah, I wouldn't be surprised a bit. You know, again, you know, you can look it up now that everybody you know they can look it up on the computer and everything, and it's amazing the uh, the health benefits of creosote, and a lot of it is being downplayed. Um, pharmaceutically, um, because readily available is not a drug, uh, which is the case with a lot of natural remedies. But uh, it definitely, it'd be worth looking into when you have the time and see if it'd be something that could work out for you.
1: Right, underrated plant.
0: It is, it's and who would have thought that the creosote so that everybody just you know has in the yard and they don't think a thing about it uh, would have potentially health benefits to the magnitude that they do.
1: Right. And they're very long lived. I think one of the oldest like living organisms in the world is a creosote bush.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, the creosote bush, that'd be a great uh, windbreak or privacy break. The next one would be desert broom and it's a Southwest native. It's not native here, but it will easily naturalize itself and it gets a white blossom and, again, if you're into feeding the bees as well, because the bees are in peril as far as uh, their overall existence. And uh, so uh, they bloom in the spring and then again in the fall. And when they bloom, they're an awesome food source for the bees. They're evergreen. They're going to get 8 to 10 feet high and wide. Again, very drought tolerant. And then the Texas sage Everybody sees it in the summertime because it's used a lot in landscape, usually not correctly because it does get to be anywhere from six to eight feet high and wide. And there's other varieties that grow a little bit smaller. And, but they have an awesome lavender blossom and depending upon the variety, they'll vary in the shade of, of lavender to purple. Um, but usually when they're used... They're used as a, in a shrub, like in a medium. And, um, and you know, there's, it's, it's amazing how many plants are really a good plant, but if it's used wrong, then it's the wrong plant for that location. And Texas sage is probably one of the worst shrubs to use. I also forgot my water. I grabbed my smoothie instead.
1: Oh, one of your world famous smoothies. Yes, I
0: did, and I just grabbed it and thought it was the uh, the water. But anyway, um, but you see them where they, they especially there's a couple commercial places in town where they used quite extensively, and sadly they plant can't grow to its full potential because they planted it in a parking medium or a, along a walkway. So they have to go in and make round balls out of them. And they still bloom well. But uh, instead of being the right shrub for that location where it's going to grow to a certain size and you don't have to do any pruning, they plant a Texas sage where you got to go in there and, and not only is it the wrong plant for that location, but now the owner of the property, when they are paying their, their gardener and their maintenance crew, They're having to pay them to go in there and make all these shrubs fit, which takes labor hours. And that just increases the amount of money that they're paying out every month for labor, for maintenance, when it could have been just a simple occasionally go through and deadhead them and then you're done. Rather than having to go in there and make the plant fit the area.
1: Right, I think a lot of people don't sit down and really plan out their landscape. They're just like, I want this here, I bought, just bought this, I'm just going to put it wherever. Exactly. And they end up, and they don't realize, like, these plants might get huge. Like, we've talked about it before, like, big agave plants. Yeah. People just put them, like, right in a pathway, and they get ginormous. Exactly. And then you've got this thorny agave and right you, by where you're you can't walking.
0: control the height or the width. It is like a shrub you can cut down to a ball because the agave is what it is, and you can't cut it down to make it fit. I know I have a customer that I went to their job this week, and uh, and they planted five gallon agaves, you know, right along the house, you know, under the windows, and um, there's no way they're going to work any more than they're going to work <clears throat> again at a commercial job where they're planted in a in a you know, three or four foot planter (coughs) between the parking lot and a walkway. I mean, why would you plant something that has that sharp of a point? And sadly, a lot of these jobs are being designed by by an architect. And it's like, where's, I mean, you have, you've gone to school for this. You have a degree in landscape horticulture and you're a landscape architect. And yet you're going to be planting an agave, in a this kind of a location, or you're going to plant a Texas sage that you're going to round off and knowingly you're going to round it off into a round ball. Um, why would you design something like that?
1: It's just poor planning you and know? you got to use the right tool for the right job.
0: Right, exactly. You know, I mean, a homeowner may see something at a nursery and like it and buy it and not really do the research and you can see it happening, but when you see it being done on a professional basis, um, and sadly I see it happen quite often just like when you see a tree being planted and they have power lines 20 feet in the air so instead of planting the right tree which would be like maybe a crepe myrtle or a flowering plum something like that you know they're going to plant you know depending upon where I see the tree it could be a sycamore, it could be a eucalyptus it could be a pine tree oh, they're going to turn the giants yeah Edison's going to go in there and they're going to chop them off You know, it's like, well, duh. I mean, you're the architect. You already knew this. And uh, so, yeah, it it can be frustrating as a horticulturist myself seeing this happening uh, professionally when it shouldn't be.
1: Right. Or I've seen horrible disasters like in some cities they plant a ton of ginkgo trees and they don't realize that the females are super smelly. Right. And then the whole city is just stinking because of the ginkgo trees that you plant because you didn't do your research on them.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, it, it's amazing. But, yeah, so if you have a need for a shrub that's going to get around 10 by 10, then those three would be excellent choices. Uh, again, like Mitch said, the creosote gets a really nice yellow flower. The desert broom's going to get a white bloom. that, And they're both... Well, actually, all three of these are going to attract bees. But out of the three probably the desert broom will uh, attract the most bee activity. And again, that's going to be a win-win for the bees as well because bees are definitely in peril. And uh, so with that, I wanted to also bring up, because we're in the pruning time of the year, and these two diseases aren't real common, but they do happen. And if you have a, this year if you had a, uh, a pear or an apple, that uh, looked like somebody took a blowtorch to the end of the growth <clears throat> and it turned just you know kind of a black-brown and, uh, and it was spreading. That's a disease called fire blight. And again, it's not real common, but if it does happen, the only time you can spray for it is this time of the year. So what you want to do is, is a, you want to get a, a lime sulfur dormant spray and thoroughly spray the tree. And if you do have fire blight, then I would recommend spraying it twice. And you want to be sure to spray it before the leaf buds swell and begin to break. Because once the leaves are beginning to develop and break through, then it's too late. So you want to do it when it's, the tree is dormant.
1: Right. Right now is the time to kind of do your maintenance, make get everything ready for the big show in springtime.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You got it. And then there's another disease called peach leaf curl. And it attacks either peaches or nectarines. And basically, you know what that looks like is the leaf will be instead of just a a long, slender green leaf, it'll have kind of a a red blistery look to it and the leaf will kind of crinkle. And that's called peach leaf curl. And again, uh, it's not going to kill the tree like the fire blight can, but uh, it is a disease that you can only control when the tree is dormant using the same lime sulfur dormant spray. So, if you had anything like that going on during the growing season, uh, definitely spray for that and that'll eradicate it Then you'll be in good shape.
1: All right. That is all the time that we have today. Thank oh, you. done for, already. Yeah, wow, time really flew by today. Right? Exactly. Well, thank you for joining us, Mike. Always a pleasure to okay, talk to you. you, you and Thanks make you. sure to tune in next week for another unique garden show. Take have care. a good one, Mike.
0: Thanks for listening to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branding of Unique Garden Center. Join us again next week at the same time, 8.30 to 9 a.m., with your questions and calls, right here on Z1077. For more information, call Mike at 365-1511.